welcome to Explanation of Benefits, a patient podcast. Join J.R. Clark and Dr. J. Moore as they explore the complex intersection of healthcare and insurance. Whether you're not sure about the difference between a premium and a deductible, or looking for expert insights on the future of employee benefits, everyone can use an explanation of benefits. Now, here are your hosts, Dr. J and JR. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the EOB podcast. I'm your host, Jay Moore. I'm the Chief Clinical Officer at Patient. And once again, I'm joined by J.R. Clark, who is my colleague here at Patient. Hey, J.R. Hey, How are you doing today? I'm doing great today. Cool. You as well? Yeah, I'm, I'm doing wonderful. And I'm really excited about the episode today because we're doing something a little bit different than what we've done in the past. We actually have um, some excerpts from an interview uh, that I did with a gentleman named Chris Lebrecht, who works for IOA which is a consulting house that provides uh, employee benefit and insurance information to employers all over the country. Yeah, and you got to travel to Florida to go meet with him. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. I didn't realize that a podcast would come with a travel budget, but I suppose that it does. And so we did get to go down and meet him. And you know, JR, the story of, of how we met him and connected with him is really interesting. Um, I'm going to get into it just a little bit here. Um, we publish a magazine at Patient called Maverick, and that's a magazine that features various people that are innovators in the healthcare space and shares their stories and the ideas that they have. Chris actually saw a copy of our magazine and was very interested in our story here at Patient, and so reached out to our founder, Brian Worley, and asked for a conversation. And Brian and Chris talked, I think, just on Zoom and had a nice conversation with one another. And at the end of that, Brian said, you know, Chris, you've got a lot of really cool things to say. I wish that we could just record this and make it available for everybody to hear. And so that's exactly what we did. So I went down to Florida to talk with Chris and spent some time with him at his office in Orlando. Um, It was just absolutely terrible, I'll tell you, to go to Florida in the middle of winter and spend a couple of days hanging out with Chris Lebrecht. Um, But uh, we had a really nice time and had a great conversation. And JR, that full interview is actually available and you can link it in the show notes. Just click that link that's there and you can see the entire interview. But what we're going to do today is just get into a few minutes of that conversation, some of the highlights, some of my favorite parts, so that everybody can uh, listen in. And if they want to learn more, then they can click on the full interview and, and go take a look at that. Looking forward to it, Jay. All right. Well, without any further ado, we'll jump right in. So here we are. This is my conversation with Chris Lebrecht the president of the Employee Benefits Group at IOA. All right. Well, Chris, I am really excited to be here talking with you today. Um, I think we can just start off with a little bit of introductory information, if that's all right, and uh, what you do here at IOA. Sure. So my name is Christopher Lebrecht. I serve as the president of the Employee Benefits Group here at the Insurance Office of America. Our home office is here in Orlando. Um, it has been for over 30 years. Great. Can you tell me a little bit about how you came to work here? What was the, so just tell me about your path. How does one go from wherever you started to where you are now? Because I think it's a really interesting story. It, it is. Um, actually, in our business, I like to say, unless you have family in our business, no one goes looking for the insurance business. You kind of right. fall into it. And I was no different in the, under those circumstances. I was working in construction. Um, as a manager, I got in a bad car accident, hurt my back, and oh. my ability to function in that role was diminished con- considerably. And a friend of mine who worked for MetLife said, you should try that. So I did. 
Uh, went to work for MetLife for about 18 months and then transferred to a small local agency that I ended up being a partner in. And we sold that agency in 2010 to a friendly competitor um, and then got repurchased by Insurance Office of America on July 1st of 2010. Um, and I've been here ever since. And since you've been here, you have your, your career has really skyrocketed. So tell me a little bit about that. How did yeah. that go? So uh, I was... At the time in New Jersey, where my office was and our, our business was, um, even though we were IOA, my role was dual. I was a property and casualty agent as well as a benefits agent. And uh-huh. in IOA, we really try to drive people towards a specialty in one area or the other. So I chose benefits. Um, and John Rittenauer, who was our chairman and CEO at the time and one of our founders, uh, had said, you know, why don't you help us grow our initiative here in the Northeast? So I did, and I really enjoyed it. I loved the autonomy uh, that you get at IOA um, as a practicing partner. And uh, I guess it was in May of 2014, I was asked uh, to be the managing partner at the time of the department, uh, which required me uprooting my family and moving from New Jersey to Orlando, which was a little bit of a culture shock, uh, but a good one. As I said, and I say all the time, I traded my brown and grays for blue and green, uh, which, you know, Wearing shorts in January is a really great thing. So it's been an absolute blessing being here at IOA and working with such a great team. Awesome. You said that you had to make that choice between benefits versus property and casualty. Mm-hmm. What was it that drew you into the benefits world as opposed to the PNC world? I, I think uh, the need, honestly. I mean, benefits, the centerpiece of benefits right now and, and has always been this way in my career is is health health plans. Um, and the challenge is that, that are associated with that in population health management, just navigating the path uh, for the members that we serve. It just seemed like a bigger challenge to me and, and a, a more dynamic opportunity. Um, I just like that. It also, I realized over time that those two things, property and casualty and benefits, are really intertwined really? Um, in, in many ways. Uh, tell me how. So, well, if you think about it, you know, the, the driver of risk for most employers often uh, is kind of born out of their people. Um, it's not the CEO who backs over somebody with a forklift. It's the disengaged employee who may be unhealthy, may be financially stressed, just might be actively disengaged. Gallup has done studies um, since 2000 on employee engagement in the American workforce. And if my numbers are right, I think in 2019, prior to the pandemic, we had the highest score of employee engagement in the U.S. that we had ever had at 34%, which is fairly dismal, if you ask 34%. me. 34%. 34%. Uh, we're engaged. So, and I think the numbers are between 15 and 18% are actively disengaged. So they're actually working against their employer. That's extraordinarily risky. We um, talk a lot about engagement mm-hmm. and how important that is for employers and what that really means and, and how that can affect the culture of the company and really the results of the company. Do you have a couple of examples of, of times, you don't have to name names, of course, but times where you can really contrast a company that's really highly engaged or their employees are highly engaged versus one that's not and what you see in terms of the results? So, yeah, and, and we've all experienced this, right? You think about your career and the different places you've worked and times where you felt that you had autonomy, that you were given mastery, that you had purpose, that you were connected to something bigger than yourself. What was your performance like then? And then think about a time where you weren't, where you were micromanaged, um, you know, asked about your TPS reports by multitude right. of bosses. We've all seen the movie Office Space, right? Sure. That's I have a red that, stapler. That, so I, a swing yeah. line, of course. Yeah, right. Um, of course. But it, it, the, the thing is, the performance at the employee is 
level is not only better, but it actually reduces risk overall. We've all experienced this. I mean, you walk into a coffee shop and you sense that irreverent camaraderie, which is a sign of trust behind the counter where they're kind of teasing each other a little bit. Well, the coffee there tends to taste a little bit. Yeah, you're right. Right. Yeah. And, and it's also, you know, it's just a better experience overall for the client. But at the same time, you're actually reducing risk overall. And you can think about that in blue collar, gray collar, white collar uh, industries. It, it happens across the board. Tell me how you think that risk changes with engagement. So let's talk about disengagement, right? That risk changes extraordinarily. Somebody who f- is stressed financially gets themselves in a, a upside down in their debt to pay ratio, mm-hmm. whether their pay is, is from a benchmark standpoint, fair, uh, you know, in, in the industry, it doesn't really matter. Once they get into that position, they tend to be disgruntled. They tend to be upset. They're more stressed. They don't do the right things with respect to their own health. Um, and it has an effect on that overall. It also has an effect on their performance at work. And their performance at work can drive risk uh, considerably. So somebody who's disengaged or actively disengaged driving a forklift is a danger to the people around an them. Actual an, an actual danger. An actual danger. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. So, and, and there's, there's other ways that property and casualty and benefits are intertwined. And the easiest, simplest way to, to look at it and the, the thing that most people connect to is workers' compensation and general health care. So occupational health and general health. If you look at it from a whole health standpoint, um, you know, these things do start to intertwine with one another because it's been known that somebody who has two morbidities, so maybe high blood pressure and diabetes or obesity and, and diabetes, if they go out on work on a workers' comp claim, they're out six times longer than someone who has one comorbidity. So you can see where improving the health of a population, which is what we do in, in in benefits at IOA can have a drastic impact on the implications of claim from a property and casualty standpoint. But it's really the undercurrent of employee engagement that drives this, I think, even more. You know, it's not what we do. What we do is help our employers uh, by providing the right coverage at the right time with the terms and conditions that they need for a fair price. That's, that's something that we do very well. But there's more to it here, right? When you start to think about employee engagement, then you're thinking about what's the proximate cause of claim. Mm-hmm. Because oftentimes you can put the pandemic-free services in place and proper lifting techniques, but if you have disengaged employees or unhealthy employees who are stressed for one reason or another, it doesn't matter. There's, things are going to happen and things are going to happen because they're not really connected. They're, they're, they're stressed about other things. They're thinking about other things. If you can, if you can implicate that, if you can, if you can have an impact on that, then all the other things that you do are greatly amplified, which is pandemic-free services, proper lifting techniques, you know, protections that an organization should have. Um, yeah, I, I, I believe that the human capital aspect of this hasn't been exploited the way it could be by resequencing a lot of the things that we already do um, around that employee engagement uh, idea. And I think it has drastic impact on risk. So the employee engagement, we've both worked at companies where employee engagement is a concern for the company that we're working for. Mm -hmm. And we often see things like, you know, the company might uh, take you out to a baseball game Mm -hmm. or put up signs that talk about how great a job you're doing. You really believe that the way that a company structures their benefits can change employee engagement and take people from that disengaged category to the engaged category. Is that right? Yeah, I believe so, yes. And I, I believe it's beyond benefits. I think there's there's more to it here. When we talk about benefits, predominantly what we're talking about is your health plan, your dental plan, your vision plan, your life plan, long-term disability, short-term disability, 401ks and that thing. 
But I think what's happening now in the market, where as we watch the social construct between employer and employee change, and, and since the pandemic started, it's revealed a lot of challenges that were hidden in plain sight, I like to say, and, and really accelerated the, the, the shift from the power of the employer to the power of the employee. We're seeing it in the great resignation. We're seeing just people leaving their jobs in droves in the last six months, things that we've never seen before. So I think that social construct is starting to change. So when we talk about benefits, we really need to start broadening that conversation. You know, the, the benefit of being, of, of having autonomy, the benefit of being, uh, of having status, the benefit of, of having freedom and flexibility to help craft a lot of what you do in, in, in accord and in concert with your employer, that's a benefit. That's something, like I said, that amplifies what we do. Healthcare benefits overall are very, very important because that's part of the engagement process. But it goes beyond that. You know, we look at really five main areas. We look at health for the employee. We look at their financial situation. We look at their social standing at work. We look at their professionals uh, atmosphere at work. What's that like? And then safety. And safety's again, pandemic-free services and proper lifting techniques, but really it's psychological safety in the broadest sense of the term. Um, think Maslow's hierarchy of needs gets brought into the workforce where it wasn't before, right? We use management techniques that we've used since the late 1800s. That's a technology that we had, and mostly it was used in manufacturing plants, and it was basically to make sure that people were doing what they were supposed to be doing along the line right. all the time, right? We've been a very that kind of supervisory top-down, I have to make sure people are doing the right thing. If I don't watch them all the time, then they're going to wander off and do something else. Yeah, right? the expression, my manager is great, is almost an oxymoron, right? Because if you're given autonomy, mastery, and purpose, you know the things you're supposed to do at work, and you're given the resources and tools to make it happen, go do it. Right. And it's that sort of freedom where people reveal their best professional self. When they do that, they create the greatest output, they create the highest net promoter scores for the employer, they reduce risk, they reduce cost. It has substantial implications for that employer throughout. Now let's talk about, you You mentioned those five areas. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, the first one was health. Mm-hmm. So tell me about, let, let's let's explore each of those in depth. Sure. Starting with health. Okay. So tell me about how, how you see health as, I mean, it's almost uh, obvious, I guess, but how do you see health as a benefit and how do you, you see the employer affecting the employee's health? So it really isn't obvious. And, and, and I, th- I, I respect what you're saying, but it, I, th- I think when we talk about that, we have to recognize that everybody's in a different place in their journey. And we have to meet people where they are, where they are in that journey. So health, we think of, you know, somebody standing there with their hands on their hips who's got, you know, 7% body fat right. and goes to the gym every single day. Well, right. Health looks like a lot of different things. And for everyone, the path to health is different and it's very unique. Um, you know, so understanding where they are, we, we would like to understand and, and emanate the highest possible feelings of around health. I know where I am in my healthcare journey. I know where I need to go next with respect to my health to maintain my health or improve it. I have the tools and resources that are personal, relevant, and accessible and not too costly to be able to accomplish that. My employer provides those things because they're actually thinking about my health and my general welfare overall. So those are the kind of, that we want to emanate those feelings in the prototypical employee of an IOA client at the highest possible level. So we need to meet those folks where they are and then aggregately meet that employer where they are. So we work both at the employee and user patient level and we work at the administrative level because the HR person, typically that's the person that we're dealing with, 
is responsible for the population health, is responsible for a lot of different things. We can talk about some of the challenges that they face that we can help with. But around health, we want to find out where they are in their journey and then continue to put relevant tools and resources in front of them that they see has value that they can access very easily. I don't think historically the industry has done the best job at that. I think there's a lot of opportunity there for us, for sure. And I, the way I hear you talking about health, I really think of it as more than just physical health. You're talking about mental health and just the overall well-being of a person which can really have so many different factors. I, I have a daughter, and she's always asking me, hey, Dad, is this thing healthy? You know, can I eat this food? Is this a healthy food? And I think the answer to that is, well, I mean, it depends. Um, you know, how does it affect your physical well-being? How does it make you feel? How much of it are you eating? You know, so I, I really respect what you're saying about health means something different to each person, depending on where they are, what their goals are what things they'd like to accomplish, and just what's happening in the rest of their lives. Yeah, and I, I appreciate what you're saying because it is a much broader conversation, and we've recognized this even more so during the pandemic where mental health, mental well-being is a big part of it, and it's a driver of actual physical health, right? I mean, if you're For depressed sure. and not feeling well, you feel lonely or you're detached um, or you're just scared, your, your health tends to degrade over time, right? So it's very important to look at this, and we make as individuals, we make over a thousand healthcare decisions a day. Eat this, don't eat that, eat that, don't eat this, walk, stand, run, you know, all these different things that we do every single day. And sometimes it's just in the six inches of real estate between our ears where we're right. making these decisions and the health there, right? So do I feel good about myself? Am I empowered? Do I feel like I drive value for my family and value for my coworkers? All of these things very much are related to one another. You know, John Muir, the naturalist, had a great expression, if you tug on one part of nature, the rest of nature moves to varying degrees. And I believe when we look at commercial risk and when we look at health, the professional life of an individual, the social, the financial, uh, and the safety overall of them, we have to recognize that as we tug on one or touch on one, we're touching on all the other to some degree at the individual level. So it's really important. When we talk about health, we want to look at that holistically not just mental well-being or physical health and the tools and resources that we think of traditionally, but it's bigger than that. Does a person work for an organization that makes them uh, feel empowered, that they're proud of, right? You know, the New York Yankees win the, the World Series and every the next day everybody's got pinstripes on, right? That's called right. burging, basking right. in the reflecting glow. Do people feel that way about their employer? You know, do they feel connected to something bigger than themselves? So you move from health to the professional, right? And you look at what are the feelings you want to emanate there? Well, one, I, you know, I really like where I work because I have a great relationship with my direct report. You know, I, I know where I reside in the company's ecosystem and I know that the value that what I do brings to the end user. You know, whether you're the person that works in the mailroom or you're the CEO, you need to be connected to that. You need to, and, and it's important, right? Because you want to be valued for that. You want to, to, to be a part of something. You know, they, they say, with respect to engagement, that's the, de that's the factory default setting for all of us. I think it was Daniel Pink that said that. Find me a four-year-old, or it may have been Dan Coyle, find me a four-year-old who's disengaged, and I'll find you someone who's not healthy physically, right? mm -hmm. who's, who's got mm -hmm. something wrong with them. Right? It's our factory default setting, and we learn to become disengaged over time based on a multitude of different things that occur. So mm -hmm. professionally speaking, do I feel safe with my direct report? Does my direct report see my progression within the organization together with me? Right? I want to move up in the organization. Does my direct report see that and support that with me? Are they helping me to get there? You know, right now, 
younger folks who go to work, from what I've heard and read, younger folks coming into the working system want to know what that salmon ladder of success looks like over time. Because they want to, they want to start to earn their way to the next level. If they can't see that, right, they're going to be looking over the fence at another employer and possibly moving on. Again, the John Muir expression, tugging on the aspect, one aspect of something can have an effect on another. If my job is to provide benefits, which in large part is population health management, and I have a high turnover rate, I'm not going to be very successful in managing the health of folks who are only staying with my employer for six months, right? So. That progression over time will hold employees longer, which means the resources that they invest in to manage the health of the population become more valuable because you've actually got somebody in the system for a longer period of time. So let me ask you a question, which I don't know, this might be controversial, I'm not sure, but I think that sometimes some people who are listening to this might be thinking to themselves, well, that's great, but that feels paternalistic to me for my employer to be the one that's responsible or managing my health. How would you respond to that? Well, so what's happening right now in the marketplace and that social construct between employer and employee, we need to be more paternal. I mean, I, I think as employers, we need to be fulfilling our team members. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of different reasons to do that. One is the right thing to do, honestly. Um, but the other part of it is it actually drives commercial value. It drives shareholder value. It's, that's the residue of all those other things you do really well. Teams that are highly engaged care about each other. How they care about each other is directly related to how the clients see that company. And we've all experienced this, like we talked about the coffee shop, right? And it's, you've seen it in sports teams where teams gel and come together and you watch them play and they're almost playing, they're like kids. You know, they're right. playing for the fun of it, for the game of it and, and the enjoyment of it, not for the paycheck so much. You don't get that sense, right? That's a highly engaged team that has you know, substantial value later on down the road. So should we be paternalistic? Shouldn't we be paternalistic? I think we have an obligation to look at business differently. Look at, and, and our job at IOA, Insurance Office of America, is to reduce, transfer, and mitigate risk all the time. I firmly believe that engaging employees into that corporate culture in a way that makes sense for them to help drive value actually reduces risk and amplifies that. So should we be paternalistic? I think you're going to see, and you're already starting to see seeds of this in some of the most successful companies. They're thinking Maslow's hierarchy of needs at work. They're trying to fulfill folks and put them in a position to reveal their best professional self. I think that, you know, over time, it feels that it's becoming more of a relationship also, that I work with a company. I don't necessarily work for a company. That when you have a really high functioning team that you're working together, we're helping each other out. So my employer, I don't really think of my employer paternalistically. I think of my employer as a place where I'm there for a reason. I'm helping that company succeed. They're helping me succeed and grow. We are working together to build something that's bigger than both of us in a lot of ways. What, what do you think of that? I, I think you're spot on. I think that makes perfect sense. I mean, think of it this way. Do you refer to the person you report to as your boss or do you refer to them as your leader? And what's the difference intellectually, what's the difference emotionally for you when you think of those two words? What is the difference? But, well, a leader is somebody who uses influence versus power. Um, you know, influencing people to highest and best use, best use to, to best practices is so much more effective than just simply saying, go do it because I said so. Sometimes you have to say, go do it because I said so, because you're not getting that connection. But the hard work of a leader, especially a servant leader, is when they can actually influence their group to best practices 
And that is more sustainable. It is more successful over time. You've seen some of the greatest leaders out there that they don't lead with authority. They don't lead with power. They lead with leadership, with influence and, and examples. And they're very authentic and transparent in many ways. And that connects people, that, that builds trust. That's, you get a, you know, a, an army of volunteers is a very powerful army. We've talked a little bit about some of these elements and, you know, the way that as you're thinking of them, it's not necessarily that there's one that starts and one that ends. They sort of blend into one another. So tell me a little bit more about that. So when we talk about meeting people where they are, we have to meet organizations where they are as well, right? So the organization is even more dynamic than the individual, so to speak. And so if you're going to approach this authentically with an employer, right, we need to meet them where they are. And as a result, you have to recognize that there's no introduction and closing and everything in between. It's not a static vertical PowerPoint, right? And kind of, and oftentimes a lot of folks present, they present with, they want to tell their story. Mm-hmm. I think when we talk about this, we need to inverse it. We need to have the conversation about the employer's story and where it starts and where it ends is going to be driven and co-created in real time. So think of this as a three-dimensional ecosystem. I don't know where we're going to start when I walk into the room with a potential client. We just begin a conversation about business and we start to go down this path and learn more about them. And as we do, we explore the, uh, the elements in conversation unique to that specific organization. It changes from I'm talking about me to I'm talking about us and I'm talking about you and I need to understand you on a more deeper level and recognize as I'm doing this that I'm I might be opening their eyes to looking at things slightly differently. You know, I like to say that industry disruption doesn't always happen with a new piece of technology or a new device. Oftentimes it happens just by taking the assets you have and resequencing them in a different order that's more impactful and and has um, a really client-centric aspect to it. So all of the elements are there. Um, each employer that we talk to is in a different journey in each one mm-hmm. and respecting that as we explore this with them and co-create solutions and results is, I think, really important to the process. Wow, Jay, that was really great. Uh, pretty exciting to hear all, all that's going on down there. Your conversation was excellent. Anything that you felt like you had, uh, you know, if you had one takeaway that you wanted to go with, that the people should walk away with out of this that you would want to share before we close this down? You know, I think overall, what was interesting to me to talk with Chris was his focus on the culture of the company and how employees interact with one another and how a job should be a little bit more than just a place you go to punch your pay card. Um, it was really great to hear him talking about that and how building that culture uh, and community within the workplace is so important and can actually pay off dividends in terms of employee benefit expense. I thought that was a really refreshing and novel approach and just really appreciated his answers to some of those questions. Yeah, I agreed completely. That definitely came across. Well, thanks, JR. I think uh, we'll wrap it up for today and we'll see you all next time on the EOB podcast presented by Patient. Thanks a lot. See you next time. 